Well, hi, everybody. It is great to be here. Wow, what a great service already. In fact, we should just have closing prayer and go home. Um, but I am so excited to be with you. Um, just a little bit on the personal side, I wish my wife, Connie, could be here. She is the fun side of our marriage. We've been married 41 years last month. So um, we got married when we were nine. Uh, but we have two grown kids. And the best thing about my kids is they produce grandkids. So I have four little granddaughters, two that are seven, two that are five. And it really is true what the Bible says, that grandkids are God's reward for you not killing your kids. That's not actually in the Bible, so don't try and find that, all right? But I am excited to talk to you about a topic that has been life-changing in my own life. And I want to tell you a little story. I was uh, several years ago, not far from here, on staff at a church in uh, Orange County called Saddleback Church with Rick Warren. And um, I remember the day that my son came to me and he said, Dad, you know, I've been dating Ryan for a couple of years and I want to ask her to marry me. And and she's the one. I know that she's the one. And so he came up with this plan. He got with his friend Josh, and they concocted this plan that he was going to ask her to marry him back where they had had their first date, and it was at a golf course. So they went back to play the course, and they had decided that when they got to the 18th green that Jonathan was going to, to ask Ryan on the green there to marry, uh, marry him. Now, Josh was going to hide in the bushes and film the event. Now, it's a little hard for Josh to hide because he's 6'11". <laughs> but part of the plan was that they took a golf ball and they sawed it in half and they hollowed it out and they put her engagement ring in the golf ball, put it back together, and then they put on the outside of it what would be her initials, R.W., Ryan Witt. And so they play the, the whole round. They get to the 18th uh, hole and... The foursome in front of them clears the green, and Josh runs out when Ryan isn't looking, drops this golf ball down in the hole. So they play the 18th hole. They get up on the green, and my son Jonathan kind of lags back and sort of forces her to go over and pull the pin out of the hole. And when she does, she, of course, sees this golf ball, and she reaches down, pulls out this golf ball, and she says, look, it's Rick Warren's golf ball. <laughs> and Jonathan said no, and he took the golf ball, and he got on his knee, and pulled out that ring and proposed to her on the 18th green. Now, here's the point of that story. It does have a point, I promise. Inside that random golf ball was a gift that was going to forever change her life. And inside what I always thought was kind of a random Old Testament teaching, there is a gift that I think if you and I would really learn to walk this out, could really change our lives. Uh, you're going to find that um, I, I love this word rhythm. That's the name of this series. And if you were to hang around me very long, you would discover I hate the word balance. In fact, the word balance makes me think of this guy named Eric Bryn. Now, you've probably never heard of, of Eric Bryn, but way back in 1969, he appeared on a variety show called the Ed Sullivan Variety Show. And there he is. And what Eric Brin would do is spin these bowls and plates. He would spin five bowls on four-foot sticks, and then he would walk across the stage spinning all these plates. And just about the moment that one bowl was about to drop to the ground, he would run over and get it spinning again. And it was both intriguing and stressful to watch him. <laughs> but I think it's a picture of our lives, right? 
We, we're constantly running from what, you know, spinning the plate of our health and then trying to spin the bowl of a great marriage. And, and then we go back to the plate of our finances. And I don't know that I've ever had a moment of complete balance in my entire life where every plate was spinning perfectly in harmony my entire life. I don't like the word balance, but I like the word rhythm because rhythm says seasons can be crazy and things can happen that are unexpected and you can live a busy life and life isn't orderly and you have limits. But what I love about the word rhythm is that I get to choose a rhythm. In spite of where I live, in spite of the speed of everything around me, I get to choose a certain kind of rhythm for my life. And God has a lot to say about that. Now, we all know sitting here that we live in a generation where the pace of life just keeps getting faster and quicker, and everything around us just keeps accelerating, and every second gets eaten up, and we compress time, and adrenaline has become sort of our hormone of choice, and we keep the pedal to the metal going as fast as we can, seizing every opportunity. In 2010, Toyota had a big problem with stuck accelerators. I think that's the way most of us live, yeah. stuck accelerators, just living fast, often exhausted. Um, it's just sort of how we come to accept life in the 21st century. And as Christians, we have no trouble rationalizing an insane pace of life because after all, we're doing it for Jesus. Right. And we've kind of been scammed into believing that the price tag of a good life is just an insane speed of life. Now, I confess to you, I know you don't know me, but if you did, you would know that I'm, I'm a bit of a hurrier. I wish I had a dime for every time my kids would have heard me say in an irritated voice, could you please hurry up? <laughs> or how many times I've been walking with my wife and I'm three steps in front of her, and in frustration, she'll say to me, are you going to walk with me or in front of me? <laughs> and what I want to say to her is, if you'll hurry, I'll walk with you, but... <laughs> But 41 years of marriage has taught me better than to say that. <laughs> or when someone, you know this experience, someone's telling you a story and you're wondering, is this going anywhere? Does this have a point? And internally, you're just sitting there saying, could you please hurry up? I've been thinking about starting a support group for compulsive hurriers. Would any of you like to join? Yeah. Here's the good news. Our meetings will not last long because... Because we got places to go and things to do, right? But worse than your hurried step is a hurried spirit. Um, I love what John Ortberg says about this when he says, hurry is not about a disordered schedule. It's about a disordered heart. And I, I've spent a lot of time reflecting on this. And I have sort of this love-hate relationship with busyness. I hate being hurried. I hate the hassle of an overcrowded life. I, I hate the stress that comes with overcommitment. But I also really like being in demand. In fact, I think I bought sort of this lie. Maybe some of you have bought the same lie that, that busy people are important people. And so it just keeps you in this insane kind of overscheduled life. And yeah. if my wife were here tonight, she would tell you, that I have a history of taking on too much. Constantly trying to figure out how to get more done in less time. Having a hard time sitting still. She would tell you, I can't relax. I don't know how to be quiet. 
And I have often worn my busyness as kind of a badge of honor. Because busy people, hey, those are the people who are making stuff happen. Those are the people who, uh, who are important. And, and I travel a lot. And when you have hurry sickness, one of the places that is like an extreme sport is to go to airports, <laughs> right? Because all the waiting and all the lines make it almost impossible to hurry. So whether it's you know, checking in your luggage, going through security, boarding the plane, putting your luggage in the overhead, deplaning or strategically positioning yourself so that you get your bag first when it comes off the baggage claim. <laughs> Come on now, some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but when you're a hurry junkie, you're always trying to figure out how to shave a few seconds off everything in your life. I love this quote, comes from a, a little book. It says, in this media-drenched, data-rich, channel-surfing, computer-gaming age, We've lost the art of doing nothing. So here's the question I want to ask you. Does God have anything to say about this? Does he, does he actually care about the pace of our lives and sort of the insanity of the speed and the obsession with which most of us live? And I think he actually really does. And so I want to give you two or three just kind of really simple thoughts and then some really practical help at the end of the message. So here's the first one. We live in a universe that God designed and defined by rhythm. So even as you sit here this evening, you inhale and you exhale, and there's a, a rhythm to that, right? Your heart beats with a predictable rhythm. The ocean tide, it goes out and it comes in with this predictable rhythm. The sun comes up every day and goes down every day with a sense of rhythm. The seasons, there's rhythm to the seasons. We're now moving into this season of fall and there's a rhythm to that. There's a rhythm to farming of planting and growing and harvesting and everything God made, he made with this sense of rhythm. And, and here's the rhythm that God established for all of creation. Work rest, produce, and then restore. In Leviticus 25, there's this interesting verse that God would say to the nation of Israel, every seven years, I want you to give the physical dirt a Sabbath because nothing was made to give out all the time. Nothing was made to work and produce all the time. God says, that's not how I made the universe. Now, here's the punchline. You were made to live in rhythm. You're no different than anything else that God made in the universe. But here's what I've learned after all my years of life and working with a lot of leaders and people in churches all over the country. If you violate this long enough, you will pay a price. Oh, yeah. Your body, your emotions, your relationship, your soul, your walk with God. Ultimately, if you violate this long enough, you will do violence to yourself. Because you were made to live in rhythm. I love what this uh, Hebrew writer Noah Ben Shea says when he says, it's the space between the notes that makes the music. And the same is true for life. We've got to have space between the notes of life to make it work as God designed it. So I want you to think for, with me for just a moment how Jesus modeled this for us so well. Now, if you know much about the New Testament, Jesus lived 30 years of his life in pretty much anonymity. 
And it's only the last three years that he really has this public ministry. And think about this. He comes from heaven, has only three years to launch his world-changing, revolutionary thing called Christianity. And you would think that you would find Jesus every single day pushing the flesh, capturing every moment, ministering to as many people as, you, as he could. But you, what, what you find in Scripture is that often Jesus withdraws from the crowds. And he goes and finds a quiet place, and he goes and finds time to be alone. And, and, and when you think about the first century, Jesus had slow built into the fabric of the first century life. Like, think about this. When the sun went down, life pretty much stopped. When it says that they went to Jericho, that wasn't a 15-minute car ride. That was an all-day walk on a, a dusty road. So if slow was built into the fabric of his culture and he still embraced the need to slow down and to rest and to be quiet, how much more do we need it? Prior to the days of planes and trains and automobiles and smartphones and technology, Jesus still said, I have to get away. I have to pull away and rest. And part of what I want you to hear tonight is that 21st century life is unfriendly to a healthy rhythm of life. And for some of us, it's not just what's happening out there in the speed of the world in which we live, but it's also something in here. Because for some of us, all of our lives, our families have taught us, you got to go faster, you got to get harder, you got you to you get, get quicker if you're really going to get ahead and if you're going to succeed. And I remember... When I first went to Saddleback Church, I'd pastored kind of a medium-sized church, and all of a sudden, I'm on staff at this, you know, monster-sized church, and um, the worship pastor pulled me aside after a few months of being there, and he said, I want to give you a piece of advice that'll help you survive this place. I said, okay, I'm all ears. He said, Saddleback is like Las Vegas. I said, so what does that mean? He said, it never shuts off. It never, it never stops. The emails never stop. The ideas never stop. The demands never stop. And if you don't learn how to manage yourself through that, you won't survive. Little did I know how prophetic that would actually be in my life. But more and more, we live in a world that is open for business 24-7. So here's a principle I want you to get. That space and slow are friends to your health. Emotional health, spiritual health, physical health, creating space, learning how to slow down, learning how to embrace rest and rhythm. We're going to talk about this in just a moment, a little more practically. But I love this passage in Mark chapter 1. Jesus has this incredibly busy day of ministry. He's preached, he's healed people, he's cast out demons. He's healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then the Bible says on this particular day, before he goes to bed, they brought everybody in town who was sick and demon-possessed to his door. Now, I don't know about you, but that feels pretty stressful. And then the Bible says, the very next verse, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left. And I think to myself, well, he should. He's the son of God. He's only got three years to launch this world-changing movement, he should get out there and press the flesh and heal more people and preach the gospel to more people, but it's not what it says. It says he left to go to a solitary place. 
And then when the disciples finally find him, they say, hey, let's go back to the village. There's a lot of ministry to do back there. Jesus says, yeah, we're not going back there. We're going to new places to preach the gospel. And what's implicitly clear in the passage is this. Jesus got his next set of instructions in that quiet place. And I wonder if sometimes the reason we have such a hard time discerning the voice of God in our lives is because there's so much noise, so much speed, so much activity that there's no room for us to really just be and hear. So God made the universe with this sense of rhythm. But here's the other thing I want to tell you. It's really good news. God has a strategy a very practical strategy for helping you live this life of rhythm. And that strategy is this word called Sabbath. Now, I suspect that most of us in the room today, we've heard the word Sabbath, but I want to ask you the question, what is it? Well, here's what it is biblically. It is one day in seven that is set aside for you not to work or produce, to not be productive, but to rest, to focus on relationships, to spend time more deeply with God, to unplug from all of your technology and demands, to actually slow down and to stop living at breakneck speed. So let me give you, I'm gonna, we don't have time to dive into this deeply, but I want to give you just a, a couple of minutes of biblical background because here's, here's my conviction. If you don't have a biblical conviction about this, the gravitational pull of busyness in your life will always win. That's why you've got to settle. What do you really believe that God says about this? So I want to take you back um, to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 2, where it says that God created for six days, and then on the seventh day, he did what? He rested, right? He stopped. Now, was that because God was exhausted? No. No. God was modeling something for us because the fact that we're created in his image, he knew that we needed to get this lesson and he was modeling something for us and what he was modeling was this principle of rhythm. Did you know that the first thing in the Bible ever called holy was not a person or a place, but it was a period of time called Sabbath? It's so important. This is such a big idea for God that he puts it right in the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth commandment and it's the one that has the most explanation with it. In fact, it makes God's top 10 list. And in Exodus 20, he would say, remember to observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy. And then he says, six days are set apart for your daily duties and regular work. God values work. But the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to the Lord. Six days are for work. A seventh day is for rest. Now, the word Sabbath literally means, there's nothing real deep or profound about it. You know what the word means? Just means to stop or to cease. But God knew this would be so hard for us. He put a command in the Bible that we would learn how to stop. And so here, I want to give you a couple of pictures up here on the screen that can help you get a picture of what Sabbath is all about. The first one is, God is not opposed to jet skis. There's something fun and exhilarating about going fast, covering a lot of territory, flying across the water at 30 miles an hour with the wind blowing through your hair. Well, at least for some of you. Um, that's a, that's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. But God says it's not about jet skis seven days a week. In fact, let me bring the next photo up. It's a whole different experience, right? Scuba diving, it's slower, it's quieter, it's underneath the surface. And there's a whole world that gets opened up to you when you slow down and you go deep 
and you learn how to experience God kind of beneath the surface. And that's really what Sabbath is all about. And what God does in the book of Exodus is he anchors Sabbath in his design of the universe. He said, I made everything to live in rhythm, and that includes you. But then I want you to see in verse 11 of Exodus 20, he says, six days God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. And then he rested on the seventh day. And then here's the therefore. Because all that's true, God says, I blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Now, here's what gets really interesting. If you go to Deuteronomy, God is going back through the Ten Commandments again, but he completely changes how he talks about Sabbath. This time, God is going to anchor Sabbath, listen to this, in our chosenness. Now, I don't know if that's an actual word, but just go with me, all right? So go with me to Deuteronomy 5, if you have a Bible, or I'm just going to read it for you here in just a second. But Deuteronomy 5, he talks about that God... When he says, you used to be slaves in Egypt. And when you were slaves in Egypt, there was no time off. When you were under the bondage of Pharaoh, there was no rest, no vacation, no Sabbath, no stopping. You worked all the time. But God says, now that you're my people, now that you're under my rulership, God says, I want you to know something. My people stop. And here's the deeper lesson. God was wanting Israel to understand that your value to me is not just in what you produce. That you matter just as much to me when you are on Sabbath doing nothing and resting. Your value to me is just as great. And man, that's been hard for me to learn because all my life I've been this kind of achiever personality. The script I really got from my dad was work hard, be responsible, achieve. That's how you succeed and that's how you get loved. And when that's the script that drives your life, you're only as good as your latest achievement. And so this whole idea of of being able to rest and to know that God loves me just as a child of God, that's been a game changer in my life. Um, So you go, okay, I, I get it, Lance, but gosh, when I come to the New Testament, it seems like Jesus is always getting in trouble for violating the Sabbath. Well, actually, if you remember, the Jews took the the command of Sabbath and they added all these laws to define what it was to work and not work. And they they took this gift and they made it an obligation and a religious burden. And, and And so when Jesus gets in trouble, it's not for breaking the Sabbath, it's for violating all these man made rules. The main thing Jesus taught about Sabbath, I didn't put this in the notes, but in, in, in Mark chapter 2, here's what he said. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Here's my loose paraphrase of that. Jesus says, Sabbath was given, this, it was given to you as a gift, and you guys have totally jacked this up. It was meant to be a wonderful gift to you, and now you've taken it and made it into this religious obligation. But I really believe that this idea of rhythm and learning how to rest well, it's not just important to keep yourself physically strong, but it's also core to your discipleship and your followership of Jesus. Because until you can learn to be quiet and to be still... God will not be able to do some of the deep work that he wants to do in your life. Maybe the eight words that stand as an indictment to modern life more than anything else come from Psalm 4610 where he says, be still and know that I am God, right? We need a theology of rest. So the Jews have this wonderful uh, practice called Havdalah. And on Havdalah, they'll take a candle and they light it to begin the Sabbath. 
and, and stays out all day to remind them that this day is different than the others. This is not about working and producing. And then at the end of the 24 hours, they take that candle and they extinguish it in a cup of wine and they pour that wine into a saucer. And here's the symbolism. That if you would do Sabbath well, it will spill over into the rest of your week and the other six days will be better because you practice Sabbath. So I want to close my time by giving you some really practical strategies because here's my conviction. You need a plan to have a healthy rhythm of life. How many of you have seen the movie Twister? You remember that one about the, the tornadoes, right? And they're chasing these tornadoes and is the, is the highest one an F5 or something like that, right? And so at the end of the movie, this guy and his girlfriend are, um, they get caught in this F5 tornado and they're uh, in this cornfield, and they're looking for a place to hide from the tornado, and they run into a, a shed that has all these sharp tools and implements, and they finally decide this isn't probably a good place to be during a tornado. <laughs> so they run out of there, and they begin to look, and all they can find is this little shed that houses the water well. And they take these leather straps, and they tie themselves to these pipes that go way deep down in the earth. And the tornado comes and it blows everything away. And they're completely horizontal, only attached to those pipes by those straps. I think that to me is what Sabbath is in our generation. If you don't have some belief that goes deep down in your life and in the rhythm of your world, you won't survive. And so let me give you some practical ideas so for how you could think about Sabbath no matter what season of life you're in. Here's number one. It's the word prepare. It's hard work to get ready for Sabbath. You have to do some work ahead of time so you can stop working. But here's one of the most significant strategies I've developed in my life. Number one is to designate a day and call it Sabbath. Don't call it a day off. You know what? Most of us, our day off is just work of a different kind. So establish a day and then get it on your calendar. Now, because I travel a lot, I don't get to do Sabbath the same day every week, but it's on my calendar. It's a big rock, and I've decided I'm going to put that into my life first and then put things around it. And so if you're going to get serious about this, it's going to have to be on your calendar. Because your calendar is where your priorities get established and where they, they really get realized, all right? So prepare. Number two is the word stop. Just disconnect. What would it look like for you to disconnect for a 24-hour period, to not work? Now, listen, to put down your phone. Turn off your iPad, right? What would it look like? For you to actually stop. That's what the word means. The third word is the word rest. For some of you, the most spiritual thing you could do is take a nap. Preferably not right now. But you, seriously, you might need to go home and have a conversation with your spouse or your family or your kids about what would it look like for us to live a sane pace of life? To simplify some things, to give up some commitments because this is a biblical command. It's God's best for me. And some of us, I, I see it everywhere I go. It doesn't matter whether you're big town, small town, affluent, poor. Everybody's exhausted these days. 
Some of you, you came into this room tonight and you put on the smile, but on the inside, you're just completely depleted. You got nothing. And can I tell you, that's not God's best plan for you to live. All right, fourth word is the word delight. Isaiah 58 talks about delighting in Sabbath. So here's a question I want to ask you. What is life giving to you? What puts fuel and life into your tank? You need some of that. Sabbath is a great time to experience some of those things. Do you realize that God gave you five senses, not just for functional reasons, but for delight reasons as well? Some of us, we work all the time. All, all we do is, and there's no fun and enjoyment and recreation and hobby in our lives. You need that. And can I tell you, God gives you permission to enjoy it. All right, last word is the word worship. It is a Sabbath unto the Lord. And, and I think, uh, you know what, Don, and I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this. I, I always kind of viewed Sabbath as sort of God's strategy to make sure I don't burn out. But I think there's something else going on here. I think it's also God's way to make sure I spend quality time with him. You know, I travel a lot, and so my wife and I check in. We text, we do phone calls, we'll FaceTime. But I want to tell you, there is no substitute for when she and I get one-on-one, unhurried, quality time together. And I think part of what God has in mind on Sabbath is that it's a day to just linger over his word a little bit longer, to maybe enjoy a worship song or two, to, to take a walk, to just experience God's beauty around us and to, to be filled with gratitude that there would be something like that for me. So here's my challenge. I know some of you are sitting there thinking, man, Lance, this just sounds so unrealistic. You just don't know the life I have. That's why I think you have to go back. What do you believe the Bible actually really teaches about this? Is it a command? Nowhere did Jesus ever take the Ten Commandments down to nine. So you have to decide what you really believe. And then here's my other thing. You got to put a stake in the ground and say, I'm going to get started. Maybe it's just a half a day every week that you get started with. But, But you decide... We're going to start making some progress. And I want to tell you, the first three years I I started doing this, I really didn't enjoy it a lot of times because even when I tried to slow down on the outside, my inside, my RPMs were redlining because I didn't know how to slow down internally. But now, Sabbath for me is the carrot on the stick of a very busy week. And I know Sabbath's coming. So, okay, let me, I got to close with this. I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we didn't get a lot of snow, but occasionally we'd get three or four inches of snow and the city wasn't really prepared. And so I remember when I was a kid and it was a forecast for snow, um, I get up the next morning, I go to the window in my room and it overlooked our front yard in the street. And if there was snow covering the yard in the street, I immediately ran to the den because way back in the day, you turn on the TV and they would put across the bottom of the TV all the schools and the agencies that were closed for the day, right? And I would just sit there and wait, wait, watch, and just wait. And then there it would be, Osuna Elementary, snow day. And I could hear the hallelujah chorus in heaven. And my mom was always awesome. She never made us like do chores or homework or anything like that. She, she let us just do anything we wanted. Can I tell you something? Every seven days, God has given you permission to have a snow day. Isn't that awesome? So start doing it. All right. Some of you, 
before you can get to this, and this is all kind of new to you, maybe what's really going on in your, your heart right now is you, you've got to take a step toward Jesus first, right? That for you, the first thing is to get in a relationship with Jesus, and then once you do that, you can begin to figure out how to live the life he really has for you. But to believe that Jesus really is the Son of God, that he died for you, and that he invites you today to, to, to know him and to enter into that relationship with him. And if you've never done that, we would hate for you to leave tonight without having taken that step. So I'm going to ask us just to bow our heads all across this room, wherever you are. And if you've never taken that step to personally receive Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and say, I, I'm, I'm ready to take that step. Anybody tonight would say, I'm ready to do that. Thank you. Thank you. At the end of the service, there'll be some folks who can come and will find you and help you take that next step out of here. But I want to ask you to just join me in prayer, and I want to lead you in that prayer. Lord, thank you that you brought me here tonight. And Lord, I just confess to you that I need you. And I believe that you died on the cross for me and that you are who you say you are. And not only did you die on the cross, but you rose from the dead. And right now, in this moment, I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Oh, Jesus, thank you for those who are in this room who've made that decision right now. And their eternity is forever changed. And Lord, for the rest of us, may we really walk out of this place committed to live the life that you have for us, to, to, to learn how to embrace rhythm and practice Sabbath, that we might be all that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. God bless you guys.